chapter which we read together, Genesis chapter 19, and we take as our text verse 29, Genesis 19:29, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. Sodom stands out in the scriptures as the most wicked ancient city. And as we know, it gives its name to a certain form of immorality up to this present time, sodomy. Sexual morality is, of course, very important to God. To people today, it doesn't seem to matter, and even to churches today, it doesn't seem to matter that much. Love is love, they say. But as far as Scripture is concerned, there's a big difference between love and <coughs> lust. And as far as God is concerned, there is such a thing as marriage. And God instituted marriage at the beginning. God set it apart as a creation institution, something to be observed and to be practiced. God brought Eve to Adam, and he performed that first marriage, one man and one woman. Therefore, we're told in Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Marriage is for a man and a woman coming together, seeking the blessing of God upon their union, and all sex outside of marriage is strictly condemned. So God gave that creation ordinance at the beginning, but then came the fall. And sadly, following the fall came degeneration. Degeneration in every way. We're told that a man came along by the name of Lamech. And he decided one wife wouldn't do for him. So he married two wives. Polygamy, contrary to God's will. And then you notice that along with this immorality came violence, because this man, Lamech, was a murderer. Violence and immorality. And that's the way it went on until the time of the flood. And why did God destroy the ancient world? Again, it's plain for us in Genesis chapter 6. Immorality and violence. Strangely, the two go together. Lust and violence. So the ancient world was cleansed with a flood. And all who lived in it were destroyed apart from Noah and his family. And so there was a new beginning. A new beginning in a fallen world. But sadly, 
that new beginning was no better than the first beginning. Man showed his true colours and before long we have degeneration and we have Sodom and Gomorrah. We're told in Genesis chapter 13, verse 13, that Sodom was exceedingly wicked before the Lord. Not just quite wicked or very wicked, but exceedingly wicked before the Lord. Last weekend we saw in Glasgow a gay pride march. This weekend there's a gay pride march in London celebrating 50 years of gay pride marches. What do you have there? You have this this beautiful word gay that has been taken over for describing sordid wickedness, filthiness, and then pride. Later on in the prophets, in Ezekiel, you read about Sodom, rather in Jeremiah, you read about Sodom distinguished by pride and luxury. And in a sense, they go together. You don't get much of this kind of behavior where there's poverty, but where there's riches and luxury, there's pride and, sadly, immorality. And we have such immorality in our day. In the past, it used to be practiced in secret if people were doing it. They were somewhat ashamed of their behavior, but not today. They boast of their sins. They're proud of their uncleanness and their wickedness. And they want to tell everybody about it, what they're doing. And not just that, but they want you and me to affirm them. To recognize them. And even to approve of them. And if we don't, we're guilty of hate crime in their eyes. Sin and pride. What does God think about it all? Well, you just have to read this chapter. What happened to these early sodomites? It's described for us in this very chapter. God hates all sin. God hates all immorality. And this form of immorality is particularly obnoxious an abomination in the sight of the Lord well first of all we have here tonight a godly man in an immoral city lots of fascinating character his father died relatively young and he joined up with his uncle his uncle Abraham and he left Haran in Mesopotamia and went with Abraham who was obeying the call of God to move to the land of Canaan. He was part of the covenant community. Lot was part of the church. He learned the true religion in the house of Abraham and he was greatly blessed by being part of Abraham's household and family. And he was a man of God. 
He was a converted man, born again man. Then he was in this house of Abraham, blessed there. They came to the land of Canaan and after a period of time, he grew wealthy. He was wealthy and Abraham was very wealthy. He had flocks and he had herds and because they were both wealthy, there was some quarrelling going on between their herdsmen. These large flocks and herds mingling together and quarrelling over pasture, no doubt, and uh, wells of water and different things. So there was some strife between them. And Abraham said to Lot, I think we should go different ways. Which way would you like to go? And Lot looked around and he looked in one direction and he saw the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, which at that time was like the Garden of Eden, rich, luscious grass growing. And he thought to himself, I'll go down this way and then I'll be rich and I'll be prosperous. Beware of the love of money, the root of all evil. What should Lot have done? He should have given away some of his wealth, given it to the poor, and valued far more being part of the house of Abraham and stayed with Abraham, even if he was considerably poorer for, her, for it. Better to be poor and spiritually rich than to be rich in this world and under God's judgment. So he decided he would choose Sodom. And we're told there in Genesis 13 that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Didn't go into Sodom at the beginning, but pitched his tent towards Sodom. But after a time, he decides to move into Sodom. And there he is a comfortable house. And you can see him quite relaxed. In the evening, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. He's at home there. Bit by bit, he has got used to it. Amazing how we get used to sin gradually. Drunkenness. People take a little and a bit more and then it becomes an addiction. Sabbath breaking. Somebody starts working on Sunday. At first they're feeling a bit uneasy about it, but after a while, it doesn't mean anything to them. Adultery, the same thing, a bit of carrying on and it leads a bit further and a bit further. Then a sense of guilt and shame, but after a while, it's just seen as normal. That's the way with sin. We are told by Peter that this godly man, Lot, vexed his soul from day to day by their ungodly deeds. We're assured by the Apostle Peter that he was a godly man. But he vexed his soul and he troubled his own soul by what he was seeing around him. It wasn't good for him. It was doing him harm. And we have to be careful who we associate with. We've got to be careful about the places we go to and the situations where our sense of godliness is blunted. And our sensitivity to sin is weakened. 
This godly man he vexed his soul from day to day by their ungodly deeds. How we must watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Be on your guard. We live in a dangerous world. We are actually in enemy territory wherever we are on this earth. In the land that belongs, as it were, to the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, we belong to heaven. Let us remember we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. And as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Beware of compromise. A godly man in an immoral city. And then secondly, we see the emphasis that's laid upon the great wickedness of Sodom. In chapter 18, verse 20, you see that the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham and says to Abraham, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. God's going down to see if Sodom is really as bad as it seems to be. Well, does God not know what Sodom's like? Of course he does. God knows everything. He knows everything that goes on in this world. And not just what people are doing, but what they're saying. And even what they're thinking. And he doesn't know, just know what happened yesterday and what's happening today. He knows even what's happening tomorrow. And there's nothing that God doesn't know. He knows everything. His knowledge is infinite, completely comprehensive. There's nothing God doesn't know. So this is a human way of speaking. He's putting it this way for the benefit of Abraham and for our benefit too. I'm going down to see what Sodom's really like, to test them out, to check what it is really like. Well, there was one reason why he was telling Abraham and that was, of course, so that Abraham would pray, would pray for Sodom. God likes his people to pray, to intercede. You see, Abraham had his nephew in Sodom. And Abraham, therefore, has a concern, concern for his family, his brother's son and their family who live in Sodom. God hates the wickedness that is there. It's offensive to him. God has created men and women to glorify and enjoy him, to be obedient to him, and he hates all immorality and sexual perversion. The men that go down to Sodom, they're angels, really, these two men, but they appear like men. And they come to the city. And there's Lot, it's evening. He's sitting in the gate of the city. And he's a hospitable man. It's a good thing to be hospitable. Hebrews 13 tells us that. Be not forgetful to entertain angels, to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Be ready to 
have people into your homes and to be kind and loving and friendly towards them. You never know who you're inviting into into your home. You might be inviting in an angel. That's what Hebrews 13 tells us. So here's, here's Lot and he's practicing what's right. He's doing what he should do. He's been very hospitable. He sees these two men and he says, come into my house and wash your feet and eat and drink and then tomorrow you can set off early on your way. And the men said, no, no, no. We won't bother you. We'll just stay in the, in the street of the city. But no, Lot persuades them, persuades them to come in. And he makes them a feast and they eat unleavened bread. But before they lie down to rest, the men of the city, old and young, gather around the house. There's strangers here. There's people that we can abuse. They gather and they say to Lord, bring out these men that we may know them. Know them in an immoral way. And when Lot refuses and says, you shouldn't do this sort of thing, then they threaten Lot himself. Lot says, I've got two daughters here. Very strange thing, he says. He offers his daughters to them. Lot, it would seem, was conscious and aware that these two men were very special. There was something different. He's aware that they are heavenly visitors and he's trying to protect them. And by protecting them, he's trying to protect even Sodom itself. But this man, they say to Lot, you're a stranger. You've come in to dwell amongst us. Are you going to judge us? You judging us? How often we hear that? Don't judge us. Judge not that you be not judged. And people misuse that verse. And they say you're not to judge us. Don't criticize us or our behavior. Well, that's what the people of Sodom were saying to Lot. And they were threatening to abuse him until the angels grabbed Lot, brought him inside, shut the door, and smote the men who were outside with blindness. God hates this kind of immorality. We think of Leviticus 18 and verse 22, where it says so plainly that men are not to to lie with men as they would lie with women because it is an abomination unto the Lord. And Romans chapter 1 tells us that this kind of behavior, this unnatural behavior as it's described as, Judgment from the Lord upon those who turn away from God and turn to idols. God gives them up to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, to immorality. But we must remember at the same time that homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. There will be homosexuals in heaven. That is pardon. And we're told in the epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, we have a description of various sins and those who were effeminate, those who were abusers of themselves with mankind, that is, homosexuals. And then Paul adds, and such 
were some of you. You, the Christians in Corinth, such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are justified, but you are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus. You were that, but you've been converted. And we believe in conversion. There's this move today against conversion therapy. And the trick is to put in this little word therapy in with conversion. But we believe in conversion. And we believe in the power of prayer. And we believe in the power of the word and the power of the preaching of the gospel. And there must be no ban on conversion. Even although the Church of Scotland has said that there should be a ban on so-called conversion therapy. No, there can be conversion. And people who live immoral lives can be changed. Just as the Corinthians were delivered from this perversion. And by nature we're addicted to every sin. Born sinners. We're born that way. We're all born sinners with a tendency to this sin and that sin. and In a sense every sin. But by the grace of God. We are made new. We're born again, created afresh in Christ Jesus. Next, we notice God's mercy to Lot. It's interesting to see how God revealed to Abraham his intention to view the wickedness of Sodom. And Abraham knew how wicked it was. And to bring judgment upon it if it was as wicked as it seemed to be. And that gave Abraham the opportunity to intercede for Sodom. And he did intercede powerfully. He prayed for Sodom. And it's interesting to know that he didn't pray for God's mercy upon Sodom. He prayed for God's justice to deliver Sodom. He said, if there are 50 righteous men in Sodom, will you, Lord, destroy the righteous with the wicked? Surely not. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Will not God do justice? And would it not be a terrible injustice to destroy Sodom if there were 50 righteous men in it? Destroy it, the righteous along with the wicked? And God said to Abraham, if there are 50 righteous men in Sodom, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham pleaded, if there be five missing from the 50, will you destroy it if there are 45? And God said, no. If there are 30 righteous men in Sodom, will you destroy it? And God said, no. If there are 20 righteous men in Sodom, will you destroy it? And God said, no. If there are 10 righteous men in Sodom, and God said, even if there's only just 10 righteous men in Sodom, I will not destroy it. But there were only three righteous people in Sodom. But God heard Abraham's prayer. He didn't destroy, he didn't, he didn't um, destroy the righteous with the wicked. No. 
he sent his angels to deliver the righteous and bring them out of Sodom so that the wicked perished and only the wicked. God heard Abraham. And that's what we have. Verse 29, it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham, remembered his prayers and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. God saw the wickedness of Sodom and God was angry. And the angel said to Lot, we're going to destroy this place. Do you have any relatives here? Do you have any sons-in-law, sons, daughters in this place? Tell them it's going to be destroyed and they've got to escape. So Lot went and told his sons-in-law. And they thought it was a joke. They laughed. Just like people today laugh at the thought of hell. They laugh at fire and brimstone preaching. And they will laugh till they open their eyes in hell. It's a terrible thing to laugh at God's word, at the warnings of the gospel. Oh, to be afraid of God, to fear God. How dangerous it is to be like Lot's sons-in-law who treated his serious warning as if it were a joke. So then we're told that the angels took hold of Lot. They said to Lot, you've got to get out of this place. But Lot was delayed. It was hard for him to leave everything, to leave his home, his wealth, his possessions, everything behind. In the end, the angels took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and his two daughters' hands and marched them out of Sodom. He said, the Lord being merciful to him. God, some people today, you know, they, they just laugh at the morality of Scripture and they say, these things, these belong to, to ancient times, to uh, uncivilized times of the past. Love is love. But God is holy. And God sees wickedness. And God will punish it. Sin is always punished. How wrong it is for these mainline churches who say it's all right for ministers to perform same-sex marriage. What an insult to God it is to take a couple of homosexuals into your church and to ask God to bless their marriage. What a direct insult to God brazen-faced. God, you say in your, in your Bible it's wrong, but we don't care. You're old-fashioned. We believe in a God who's loving and loves sin and loves sinners and loves immorality and we can do what we like. And so we find so many 
of these big churches have become synagogues of Satan. How terrible. Synagogues of Satan. Practicing what the Sodomites practiced long ago. But the, the angels take Lot out of Sodom and lead them away from it and tell them, escape to the mountains. Look not behind you. Don't look back. Run for your lives. Judgment is coming down upon this wicked place. Get out and get as far away as you can. Next, remember Lot's wife. Jesus tells us to do that. Lot's wife is a very sad case. A great warning to us all. A warning that many Christians forget today. They think it's okay. Nothing to worry about. Keep looking back to Sodom. Be like the Israelites in the desert, longing for the flesh pots of Egypt. Don't look back. Escape to the mountains. But Lot's wife, she'd never been born again. She wasn't converted. Her heart was in Sodom. She loved the luxury, the pleasures of Sodom. She loved the restaurants in Sodom. She loved the entertainment of Sodom. She loved the pleasant company in Sodom. And so she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. A memorial pillar to generations that would follow. Shouting to men and women, remember me. I perished because I loved sin. I loved the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There is a warning there. Remember Lot's wife. A warning to men and women today to remember Lot's wife. And then, finally, we see the sad end of Lot himself. Sad in part. He was a godly man, but he compromised. He compromised a bit too much. He was too concerned to be wealthy, too concerned with worldly ease. Even when he was taken out of Sodom, he thinks, oh, I can't go to the mountains. That would be awful. So he intercedes for the little town of Soar and uh, pleads for it that he'd be allowed to go there. And God in his mercy allows him to do that. But he's not very long in Sodom. When the f he's not very long in Zor when the fire and brimstone comes down. And then when he sees what's happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, he takes his two daughters and runs to the mountains. And there... He lives with them in a cave. He sought to be wealthy and he lost his flocks and his herds and his gold and his silver and all his wealth he lost, all his riches. He had to leave it all behind and ended up living in a cave 
with his two daughters. If only, if only he had stayed in the house of Abraham, how different things would have been. But there he is, living with his daughters in the cage, in the cave. And then we read about this sordid affair of his daughters lying with him, uh, persuading him to drink, to be drunk, lying with him, and then conceiving children. One conceives a child whom she calls Moab, the father of the Moabites. The other conceives a child whom she, call, whom she calls Ben-Ami, the father of the Ammonites. Both of them conceived seed, but not a godly seed, enemies of the Israelites, idolaters, pagans. How sad it is. This godly man, and we see his wife perishing, and we see his family perishing. How important it is to be real Christians, consistent Christians, separate from the world. Watch and walk with God. Let's pray. Help us, O Lord, to value the holy life of Christians the life set before us in thy word, to be different, to be separate, to be set apart for God, and to live our lives for thee, holy lives, pure lives, to be different. O oh Lord, help us. And so do thou bless us, Lord. And may we, like Abraham of old, be blessed. I will be a God to thee and to thy seed after thee. Forgive us for all our sins. Deliver the churches of our day and turn the churches which have been following the ways of immorality. Turn them back to thyself. Bring reformation in the churches. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. We shall close saying in Psalm 50, Psalm 50, the first version, and singing verses 19 to 23. Psalm 50, verse 19. Thou givest thy mouth to ill, the sinner, the wicked. Thou givest thy mouth to ill, to evil. Thy tongue deceit doth frame. Thou sitst and gets thy brother speaks. Thy mother's son does shame. Because I silence kept while thou these things hast wrought. That I was altogether like thyself hath been thy thought. But God sees and God will rebuke. God doesn't like sin. Verses 19 to 23. <coughs> Thou gives thy mouth to me.
services next Sabbath at the usual times, 11 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. And we hope, God willing, to have a congregational fellowship after the evening service and the man's prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time, 7.30 p.m. All God willing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.